urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now for me, there's so much in that verse alone, but look at the emphasis of Paul. He's urging us. This is something important. And today we're going to reflect on what that is that he's talking about, this urging, but also this life worthy. Um, Ephesians 4 introduces uh, through verse 1 this way, and chapters 4, 5, and 6 talk about what a life worthy looks like. We're going to be looking at just verses 1 to 16 of Ephesians 4 today. That focuses more on what does a life worthy within our community or within our, our church, the body. Uh, but I would encourage you to continue reading through in your own time um, just to see you know, what are the elements in the other areas of your life that would be a life worthy. Um, the way we're going to unpack it, there's just four areas that I'll be covering. First, we're going to grasp the significance of this urging. So what is this calling that we've received? Why is it important? Uh, Secondly, we're going to explore that life worthy um, in the community or the church context. Uh, Thirdly, we're going to look at how we grow together using our talents. Um, And there's one over there, we seek to grow as disciples. And finally, we're going to look at how we grow individually um, to maturity. So Jesus told a story once, um, and I'm going to use that to illustrate my first point on grasping the significance of this calling that we have received. The story comes from Matthew 20. You don't need to turn to it. It's the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Um, And I'll paraphrase it as I go through. It's of a business owner who hired some staff early in the day. Hours later, he hired some more. And again at lunchtime, hired more. An hour before knockoff time, He came around and he noticed that some workers were standing there doing nothing. And he asked, why are you here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they responded. Come work for me, the business owner offered. And soon it was evening, just an hour later, and the business owner settled the day's wages. To all of the workers, he paid the same amount. Now this upset the workers that had started earlier in the day. That's not fair. We were here for much longer. We deserve more than that. I'm not being unfair, the business owner replied. You got paid what we agreed to, right? You've not lost out. Can I not be generous with my own business? On face value, that doesn't seem fair, but it's a remarkable story. It's unheard of for two workers of similar skill to get paid the same amount, if only for uh, an hour of productive effort. But have you stopped to think about those workers that were hired late in the day? I want you to picture this scene in your mind. You've got a family to feed, bills to pay. You start your day full of optimism, With a bounce in your step, you get to the marketplace early, full of hope, excitement for what the day might bring. Prospective employers start to come through and you maintain your smile as you get overlooked, as the people beside you get hired. You hold hope 
she'll be right, mate. The day wears on, and again, you've been overlooked numerous times. And no matter how hard you try, that joy turns to anguish. You're now hanging around until evening, resigned to the fact that you would be going home soon, empty-handed. Pastor Montez said that you don't mind a little bit of interactivity, so picturing that in your mind, how do you feel right now? Just throw out some words. Anxious? Yep. Lousy? Sorry? Despondent? Yep, yep. Overlooked? Yeah, worthless. It's um, not hearing a lot of positive words um, in that. But unexpectedly, you're hired at the last moment. It's only for an hour. But now, how do you feel? Hopeful. Hopeful, good, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thinking it'll only be an hour's pay. Yeah. I'm grateful, yeah. Yes, sure. It's um. So there's a change there. There's a difference in that perspective. And grateful um, is the word I heard. And of course, even if it was for an hour, and there's that hope there, you would give it your all for that hour, because. Um, it provides opportunities potentially for Torah as well. Um, and it's, it's a blessing to, to go from being unhired to being hired. Um, it's not just because you'll earn some money, and that says you don't know how much you would earn. It's the blessing of being included, um, that you're able to be productive, to get your hands dirty. It's the opportunity to work. And you need to realise that those workers that were hired an hour before closing, that were given that opportunity to add value and participate in rewarding, uh, receiving a reward for their labour, those workers were you and I. You see, Paul penned this letter to the church at Ephesus, reminding them of what Christ had done and how blessed they are. Keep your finger at Ephesians 4 and turn back a couple of pages to chapter 2. At verses 11, he writes, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised, which is really all of us, by those who call themselves the circumcision, which were Israel, the Jews, which is done in the body by human hands, Remember at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the promise of the covenant, without hope, without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Paul saying that it just wasn't that long ago the Gentiles, you and I, were on the outer. We were the unhired workers, separate, cut off from the promises. But now, in this final hour, we are hired, we're included. We've been given the opportunity to work and to receive a reward. It's such an incredible blessing. And so turning back to Ephesians 4, there in verse 1, I urge you, 
to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So that does not mean that we try and deserve our place in God's favour. Paul is wanting us to recognise, not to forget the opportunity that we've been presented with, to remember the contrast in how we felt while unhired, and then the burst of motivation and, and gratitude once we were hired, to make the most of this opportunity in the last hour, and to deliver work that is commensurate to the blessing, to live a life worthy. When is the payment received? It's at the end of the hour. So there's work to be done in this final hour. And Paul urges us not to forget the blessing that we have this life, that we need to make it worthy of the calling. Which brings me to my second point, that a life worthy means to grow together in community. Paul highlights that though we've all been called individually, we are now in a team with a common purpose and a common direction. Take a look at verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father in all. Let's count together in this passage how many occurrences are there of me, myself, and I? None. What's Paul driving home here? He's driving home one. And one does not mean individually, but collectively we are one. One body guided by one spirit. And we all share a commonality of the same hope that's behind our purpose. Paul is speaking of Christ's gift, his church, one community together in fellowship called believers. Take a look at verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is unity. We are unified of the Spirit, the one Spirit. Paul emphasizes make every effort to keep the unity. Now, if you think about that, you can't keep something that you don't already have. Earlier, we saw Paul remind us that we are now included. We already have unity through the blood of Christ. And we need to keep that unity. And what does that look like? The answer lies in verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient bearing with one another in love. Christian humbleness means to put aside our individualistic urges, our sense of superiority, and remember that Christ is the head, the one to be glorified. Christian gentleness is how we express the humbleness. It's a reflection of our demeanor. It's only when we're humble and gentle that we can be patient. Through humbleness, we serve patiently. But if you have a high sense of oneself, then with that comes a sense of being served, and quickly. And we are to bear with one another. So turn to the person next to you and say, I am to bear with you in love. 
How scary is that? There is so much diversity here in our population. There's people of all shapes and sizes, hairstyles, grooming habits, smells, the list goes on. But in unity, we have to bear that because we are one and we bear with each other in love. Recognizing that we've all been called, we've all been hired. And when we have an attitude of humbleness and gentleness, when we've learned patience, then bearing with each other is not only possible, it will just happen because we have been unified in community. There's a Psalm 133, which is so eloquent. Um, I'll just read that. It's a really short psalm, a couple of verses. That's what it says. How good and pleasant is it when God's people live together in unity? It is like precious oil poured on the head running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Remember, we have been called to grow as one team, so his church can grow. Unity does not mean uniformity. There is diversity in our unity, which brings me to my third point, that we grow together using our talents. <coughs> Turning back to Ephesians 4 and verse 7, but to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. The grace Paul speaks of here is not a saving grace, but a serving grace. Christ apportioned to each of us skills, gifts, talents, and these are to be used, as it says there in verse 12, for works of service. These are the gifts of the Spirit which are spoken about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'll read from verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And then that passage goes on to list a handful of gifts, but the point is they're given for the common good. There in verse 11 of Ephesians 4, it says, so Christ gave himself, so Christ himself gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. Again, for service and for benefit of our community. In this last hour, we need to be in fellowship together in our community. Verse 12 says we are given all of these to equip us, um, or the translation that was read, to prepare us. We come together in fellowship, not to participate in audience, but to be equipped with knowledge, encouragement, and to re be reminded about the gospel, what Christ has done for us, and to remember we are in the final hour, and only moments ago we are unhired. When we come together, we're rejuvenated from the week that's just passed, and we're equipped for the week that's coming ahead. 
If we don't keep fellowship, how will we be equipped? And what is the point of all of this anyway? Verse 12 says, so that the body of Christ may be built up. That's the point. How do you build up a body? Well, you need to maintain unity that I spoke of earlier, which nourishes through fellowship all those that are already in the body. But you also have to use any opportunity to share the gospel. So the more can join in the body, be hired, receive the blessing that was so generously given. So how do we reach those non-Christians that are in the city? In March last year, there was a survey done by McCrindle called Faith and Belief in Australia. And here's some takeaways from that survey. 92% of Aussies know at least one Christian. So amongst the non-Christians that you interact with, you might be that one Christian that they know. More than half of Australians say they are open to changing their views given the right circumstance and evidence. So half. And the top prompt or event for someone to think about something spiritual or religious, the, the common ones that would come to mind would be when there's a sickness or there's death or there's something going on in someone's life. But actually the top thing was just conversations with people. So what can we do? Well, we can speak to people around us. And we don't know how to do that, then we find someone who does. A couple of years ago, if anyone had asked me, if anyone had asked for volunteers to go and speak to non-Christians, I would have been the last guy to put my hand up. And it's, it's not because of a lack of love for Christ. I just see myself as the most awkward person out there. Um, I'm deeply shy that I just thought that's not my thing, it's not my ministry. But I pressed forward and the biggest contributor that helped me get to where I am now was to observe and learn from others who are already doing that ministry. Isn't that how we grow in all other areas of our life? When we're learning how to cook, we look at what others have done. Some of us just throw things together and hope for the best. In our education, our vocation, the skills, it all comes through interactions with others. We learn from others. The, um, the work that, that I'm doing on Friday nights with non-Christians, there's some really exciting things that are going on there. Every Friday night this year, there has not been an empty session. And sometimes I don't feel like it. Um, you know, kind of hope no one will turn up so I can go home. But <laughs> It's uh, someone always turns up and they want to learn more about God. Um, some don't come back, but a lot do, and they come back next week to continue the conversation. And strangely, in the last six weeks, we've had randoms just walk off the street, um, just wanting to know more. And I think it's strange because I asked them, well, how did you find that there was something going on? And they just say, Google. But I just scratched my head, you know, wondering, what did you search for? I don't think we've even got a website. So <laughs> how, how did you even find us? But 
My point is, you put yourself out there and God will produce the results. Um, and if we partner with others in the body, then we'll learn from each other. We will grow in confidence. And that's the whole point of all the skills and talents that we have. We've, we've all been called together to share Christ's gospel. So then what can we do to support each other in the pursuit of that? Our fellowship together will grow if we use our gifts and talents for the common good, for this community, and for equipping others. Because we have been called to grow as one team so that his church can grow. Verse 13 says something really curious, and this touches on my fourth point, that we need to grow in maturity as individuals. So verse 13 begins with, until we reach unity. So verse 3 said, keeping the unity. And it's a bit odd because it, we were encouraged to keep the unity. And yes, it did. But the unity that was being spoken about in verse 3 was the unity that Christ had already achieved for us through his blood in bringing together as community. But the unity spoken about in verse 13 is a goal to be attained by all of us and requires each of us individually to press forward so that a corporate unity can be attained. So we have achieved unity, we're together. Christ already did that. But now there's a corporate unity to be attained and that can only be attained through maturity. If you read on in verse 13, reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Paul's not speaking of a physical maturity here, but a spiritual maturity. We have to be grounded in our faith. That Christ is the Son of God who died for our sins so that we might have eternal life. We need to grow in our knowledge of Christ. And I have joy that you are here in fellowship to be equipped. In that survey I mentioned earlier, it found that of all that claim to be Christian, only a third went to church in fellowship at least once a month. And only 15% were actively involved. Um, they're not the sort of numbers that, that highlight a maturity of, that's being attained. If we're truly seeking the knowledge of Christ, then other priorities in our life will look less attractive. <laughs> the idols that we once had will lose their importance. What once occupied our mind and our heart well, they should be gone because nothing compares to Christ. As we grow to maturity, so too will our love for God. And so too will the fruits of the Spirit increase. As verse 13 concludes, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And I'm sure you'll recognise there are practical reasons for us to grow in maturity. It delivers us an arsenal to draw upon. We can defend ourselves, our faith, stay strong. In verse 14, it says, 
then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves. Our faith will stay strong. Oh, whoops. Tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. There was an article in Eternity News, which was published shortly after those survey results were released, that said, results are in. Aussies admire people who live out a genuine faith. The greatest attraction to investigating spirituality and religion is seeing someone live out a genuine faith. That survey was highlighting those that aren't religious. One of the top detractors is just seeing people live out their faith. That's pretty easy to do. Um, and isn't it awesome that someone would be attracted to Christianity just from something that is as simple as that? That sort of authenticity, though, is not possible unless we grow in maturity. And finally, we have a wonderful picture painted for us in verses 15 and 16. It reads, We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together, by every supporting ligament, grows, builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That illustration of a body growing, filled with mature Christians, each with their own part to play, guided by the head, which is Christ, that illustration is the church. And it summarizes the four elements that we looked at today that we have been hired and so now we participate in this body. That we need to grow in community. That we need to grow using our gifts and talents. And that we need to grow in maturity so that the body overall can grow. In this final hour, we are called to grow as one team so that his church can grow. We have been hired and our reward is coming. But I remind you of what it says in verse 1 of the passage and ask you to reflect. What more can you do to live a life worthy of the calling you have received? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for calling us. We thank you for your word that has the power to grow us. We remember the blood that you shed for us, that we can be in unity together, and we pray that you continue to urge us, to remind us, to use the gifts that we have for the benefit of your church and your fellowship. We pray for a strengthening of your faith and maturing of our spirit so that we can do good works necessary to help your church grow. Amen.